Let us pray. O most gracious God, draw near once more as we have prayed already. Draw near and bring to us the peace that you have promised through the forgiveness of our sins, that we would evermore be restored by that very peace that flows out of your graciousness, out of your favor, out of your coming, in fact, to your people. Help us, O Lord, to continually prepare our hearts to receive and to re-receive that forgiveness of sins, that renewal of heart and mind and soul and body, that we might become people of your promise, living lives reflecting who you are more and more through Christ our Lord. Amen. Preparation. That's our call word for the season of Advent. Preparation. Without preparation, we don't see what is about to come. We don't experience what is about to be given. When I think of the word preparation, I can't help but reflect back in 1996. I can't believe it's been this long ago. When I used to drive between my home in Teleco Plains and out to Cookville, Tennessee, where I was staying with my brother and attending school for a little while, I would be driving sometimes late in the evenings, and I would ultimately kind of flip over to random AM stations as I'm driving across East Tennessee into Middle Tennessee and come across these random radio broadcasts of, for lack of a better word, what you would call preppers, guys who are expecting the end of everything to come that were just talking about how disastrous everything was and how you've got to be ready. You've got to see the signs. You've got to be setting up your food. You've got to be setting up your ammunition, and you've got to be prepared for the disaster that's pending. And that was in 96, 1996, a quarter of a century ago, people were talking that way. But that's what I think of. I think of those guys, and I often think we make fun of guys who are talking about the end is nigh, the end is coming. You don't see it, but I see it. We think they're paranoid. We see them as negative influences. We see them as overreacting to the reality around us. Maybe they are, but maybe they aren't. Maybe they see something that we're not seeing. I mean, they're not inspired prophets, no, these preppers, but they are preparing for bad things to happen. And they're trying to give warning that bad things can happen, that bad things probably will happen. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually something bad is going to happen. So be prepared in some way. Don't let it come upon you unexpectedly, kind of like what Peter was saying in his epistle today. The Lord will come like a thief in the night, as so often Jesus has said in his parables. Be prepared. Keep watch. Stay awake. That's what preparation does for us. It helps us to stay awake. It helps us to draw near. And what are we preparing for right now? We're preparing for peace. We're preparing for receiving peace from God. And that peace comes through the renewal and the forgiveness of our sins that he sends to us in Jesus. We prepare for the peace that is to come in the return of Jesus. We prepare for the peace that comes to us continually as we draw near to Jesus and cleanse our hearts before him through confession, through letting the law be applied to us, to reveal to us the nooks and crannies and places where we have sin, where we are sinners. And we prepare for the peace that has come already in Jesus' birth so long ago. As we think about those three epics of peace, 
We hear the words of Isaiah today. We hear the words of Isaiah saying, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. I should say Yahweh says that to his people through Isaiah. Isaiah is quoting Yahweh himself. Comfort, comfort my people. And we can take comfort in Yahweh because he has come to us in Jesus Christ. He has come to us. Comfort, comfort. Something I never thought about with that verse, with those two simple words, comfort, comfort, is that those aren't suggestions. Our modern translations kind of miss out on it. Our older English translations would often insert you in there. Comfort ye, comfort, comfort, comfort ye, my people. It's a command. The you is implied because it's a command. God is saying, take comfort, my people. Lay hold of it, grab hold of it, grasp it with your hand, for it is here for you. Comfort is for you right now. Your warfare is ended. Your iniquity is pardoned. Lay hold of this comfort that I am giving you, that I sent you into exile because of your sin. But I am bringing you back from exile. I am receiving you back to myself, and I have pardoned all of your sin now. This comfort isn't nebulous or abstract, but it's real, and it's right here, right now for the people. The Lord says Jerusalem has received double for all of her sin from the Lord's hands. And yet he has forgiven all of their sin. That's a statement there, the double for all her sins out of compassion and mercy. Not according to justice. If Jerusalem had truly received double for all of her sins, then God would be unjust. He's speaking compassionately toward his people here when he says that she has received from the Lord's hand double. It's like sending your child into their room for a time out to discipline them. And you say they have to stay there for 10 minutes, but at five minutes in, you hear that they are sorrowful. And you say, my child has received twice what I meant. They figured it out. They want to repent. They want to turn because of the discipline they've received. They haven't received the fullness of the discipline according to justice, but they have received the fullness according to mercy and compassion. They have received the fullness of discipline, double it in fact, according to grace. Because the discipline had its effect. The discipline worked in them and caused them to see their sin for what it was and to turn to the Lord. And so the Lord has forgiven. He has poured out grace and mercy on his people so that they can take comfort. They can lay hold of that comfort and cling to it. And Isaiah continues in verse 3, a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Here we're bridging over to the Gospel of St. Mark, where Mark partially quotes Isaiah here, but he's not just quoting Isaiah when he speaks. He's saying so much more than what Isaiah is saying right there. He references Isaiah because he wants you to go back and hear Isaiah's words and look at Isaiah, but he's also 
making a slight reference over to Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 1 also. For in Malachi, he says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. But then Malachi is referencing over back into Exodus, where the Lord promises that he will send his angel before the people to lead and to guide them and to carry them safely through the wilderness. These are all being wrapped up together there in the Gospel of Mark in that quote of what he's saying right there. But here a little difference. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. In Malachi, Yahweh says, I am sending my messenger before my face who will prepare my way. Mark purposefully tweaks it, adjusts it in order to say that this this one who is coming after the messenger is Yahweh. Because that passage is about Yahweh coming, Yahweh sending his messenger, preparing Yahweh's way to come into the world. And here Mark puts Jesus right there in the middle of this prophecy. I send my messenger before your face, talking about before Jesus' face, because this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So who else is Mark going to be talking about here in this quote? But John going before Jesus and John preparing the way of Jesus who, Mark is saying, is Yahweh himself come to earth in humanity, in human flesh, incarnate for us. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh for us. People like to say that the Gospel of Mark has a low Christology, but right there in the first three verses, you have Mark putting Jesus in the place of Yahweh in a prophecy about Yahweh coming down to earth, preparing the way. The messenger prepares the way for Yahweh, and this messenger, John the Baptist, is preparing the way for Jesus to come. And they're crying out, prepare the way of the Lord is what John is doing. That's what the voice is crying out in Isaiah. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the highway in the desert. Make his path straight, Mark summarizes. The valleys are lifted up. The mountains are laid low. The uneven ground is level. The rough places of plain. All of these are pictures of a total reconditioning of the earth, of the land. And of course, this is about, on one hand, the people traveling from Babylon back to the promised land through the desert, through the wilderness. And the idea is that as Yahweh is traveling with his people, they are to level the ground before them, to prepare that way for Yahweh to return to the promised land with his people and to make all things new. Of course, the picture that that should bring to us is the reality that we are all leveled out before God. We are called to do that work in ourselves. The pride of that we have, the mountaintops that we expect are to be made low and leveled out. Those valleys of false humility to be filled in and leveled out for us. We are to do that work, seeing that as the law works against us, revealing and opening our eyes, just as John the Baptist is doing to the people when he cries out, repent, for the Lord is coming. The kingdom is at hand. And in doing that, in doing that work of letting the law expose our sin, revealing our pride, Revealing our hatred, revealing our mistrust of the Lord and what he has done for us. 
we can turn and prepare our hearts even more that the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Our eyes will be made eyes that can see Jesus, that can see what God has done in Jesus, that he is bringing about life and salvation through Jesus for us, that he is making us able to receive life and salvation so that we can take comfort, so that we can lay hold of that comfort that God is pouring out upon us. Even when we hear the law declaring that I am a sinner, God makes a way. Because after all, when God gives us a command, he is going to make us able. He is going to give us grace as we cry out to say, I can't do that, Lord. I am a sinner and I have sinned against you. Give me grace. Give me your favor. Renew my heart to want to do your law and to pursue it, to follow after it. And the Lord will give us the grace when we turn from our sins. He has given us grace to begin with to even want to turn from our sins. So of course he's going to give us grace to actually turn. He wants to draw us to himself. He wants to make us capable of leveling the mountains and raising up the valleys, of smoothing the plains, so that we will have eyes to see the glory of the Lord. And who is the glory of the Lord but Jesus himself? Because that is the very thing that we are drawn to through the gospel of Mark. He immediately opens with Jesus Christ, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And after opening with that, he does turn immediately to John, who is baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We often think of John, I think, as a prophet of doom and gloom, that he's always talking about how God is coming in judgment, how God's going to chop down the tree and burn it in the fire and get rid of all the chaff. But we forget that he does that in order to convict the people of their sins so that they will repent and receive forgiveness. Because we can't receive forgiveness if we don't know that we're sinners. If we don't know that we're sinners, we can't receive peace from God. If we aren't confronted with the reality of our sin. And so John confronts the people and declares to them a baptism of repentance, which means he has to tell them about their sins so that they can turn away from those sins and know the forgiveness of God, so that they can then take comfort in their God, lay hold of the comfort that God is giving to them. John isn't there to condemn them, but to call them forward to their God of mercy and forgiveness. Through the repentance, he cries out for them to receive in baptism, to receive by baptism, to receive the forgiveness through that. They receive the promise of salvation. They receive the reality of the gift of God in them. And John was stark in his appearance to the people. He didn't preach in the cities. He didn't preach in the towns. He went out into the wilderness to the Jordan River to preach about his baptism of repentance to preach about the forgiveness of sins that comes to the people when they turn from those sins. He does that on purpose. Again, because Isaiah talks about that traveling across the wilderness back into the promised land. How did the children of Israel enter into the promised land? They looped around to the outside of it and said that they could have just come straight up from the south. No, they looped around through the wilderness and crossed the Jordan River to go into the promised land. They had to cross the Jordan River. Before crossing, they were people looking forward to the promise. 
After crossing, they became people who were receiving the promise. Likewise, John goes to the Jordan River, to that liminal spot, that in-between place, to call the people to repentance, to call them to become the people of God once more. He calls them out into the wilderness so that they will travel through the Jordan River in their baptisms and re-enter the promised land as new people of God, as the new people of God, the ones who are preparing for the God's coming to this earth to make all things new. He renews his people in preparation for renewing the face of the earth. And so John calls us to the wilderness. He called them into the wilderness. For there, they can be confronted with their sin. For there, they receive the discipline that is necessary. For there, life is hard. And when life is hard, we recognize our failures more clearly. We recognize our need for forgiveness. We recognize that we need comfort but there is no comfort until Yahweh says, Comfort, comfort, my people. Take comfort. Receive it from me, for I am giving it now. And all of this comes together in John being that forerunner, being that messenger, dressed in camel's hair and a leather belt, looking like a wild man to our eyes, but in reality simply looking like Elijah the prophet. In 2 Kings 1, 7 and 8, it's talking about the people encountering a man who is dressed in camel's hair and a leather belt. And the response is, oh, that's Elijah the Tishbite. The people could immediately identify Elijah simply because he's wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. He was dressed so differently from all the other prophets that as soon as you mentioned running into some guy in camel's hair and a leather belt, everyone's like, that's Elijah. You just encountered Elijah the Tishbite. John likewise dresses as Elijah, because he is the Elijah to come. He is the Elijah that was to prepare the way for Jesus, to prepare the way for Yahweh coming in his glory, coming to renew all things. And so John becomes a greater Elijah for the sake of the salvation of the world and calls the people to repentance, calls the people to receive forgiveness of sins, calls the people into newness of life. He's not some prophet of doom and gloom. He is a prophet of salvation. He is a prophet of the glory of God and his forgiveness of sins. He tells the people, God is bringing forgiveness to you, so repent, turn from your sins, recognize that you have to prepare to receive that forgiveness, and that is even God's grace in that moment, turning the people's hearts toward himself to receive that forgiveness, to receive the fullness of renewal, and that's what we are doing for this Advent season. As we think on the coming of Christ, first in Jerusalem, or in Bethlehem, and lastly at the end, returning in such a way that the heavens and the earth are going to melt, but they won't be destroyed. They will melt down into the new heavens and the new earth, and all things will be purified, just as when you take gold and burn it in a furnace, the impurities lift out of it, and you can be removed. God is doing that to the whole of creation when Jesus returns. He is putting it through the smelting furnace in order to purify all things and to get rid of the sin and the dross that is there so that we can be made new with all of creation with us. All things are made new in Jesus when he returns. And we walk that path of preparation looking toward that day, staying awake in order that we can receive that mercy Receive the forgiveness of cleansing. 
Because that is what God desires to give to us. And between now and then, God says, take comfort, take comfort, my people. For your iniquities have been forgiven. Forgiveness is here. Prepare your hearts to receive it. Hear the word of the Lord that is coming to you now that the Lord has forgiven all of your sins. Repent and turn from those sins and receive forgiveness to live in that forgiveness. Let the law condemn you. Don't resist the law anymore. Don't resist the reality that the law ever continually condemns you. For every moment you think you get a leg up on the law, it'll kick the other leg out from under you so that you come crashing back to the ground and are left broken before the face of God to receive his grace and his forgiveness once more and so that you can stand back up and walk the path of righteousness in Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we cannot walk that path, but with Jesus we do, for we walk in him. We are clothed with him. And so we grow in the faith of, and in forgiveness, and we grow in repentance, and we prepare that way. We make straight the path of the coming of the Lord toward us as we confess, as we turn, as we receive renewal and forgiveness. So take comfort, my people. Lay hold of it. Cling to it. Don't let it go. Because God has given that to you in Jesus. Yahweh has visited us in Jesus. The great God of all things is visiting us now in Jesus as we draw near through his word, through his sacraments, through our prayers. Jesus draws near and he is Yahweh coming to us but not coming in anger, but coming in compassion, coming to bring forgiveness to all who repent and turn from their sins, to all who receive in faith that forgiveness that has been given to us and promised to us to be received. So may we draw near and prepare the way of the Lord in our own lives during this season of Advent to receive forgiveness, and with forgiveness we receive peace. And with peace, we can take comfort. For our iniquities have been forgiven for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.